Go ahead and uh, open up your Bible, if you got one, and uh, turn to Romans chapter 10. Romans chapter 10. We are in the middle of, uh, of a, a considerable series on Romans 9, 10, and 11. The title of this series is God's Plan for Israel. God's Plan for Israel. And part 7 today, uh, we will uh, soon get to uh, after a recap, but part 7 is entitled The Gospel Delivery Confirmation. Gospel delivery confirmation. We'll find out what that means uh, in just a few moments. But before we get to uh, our, our next portion of text in Romans 10, I wanted to do just a brief recap for those of you that may or may not have been here last week. Um, last week we had a, a real pivotal kind of message. Uh, one that, uh, that uh, really um, gives a, a new meaning to what is going on in the book of Romans. Last week we covered Romans 10, 9, and 10, among other verses. And in that passage of Scripture, Paul wrote that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. And we learned uh, last week uh, what, what this verse means. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a very common verse. Uh, many of us have memorized it. Many of us have, have used it uh, as a tool in evangelism. But in fact, Paul uses this verse quite uh, peculiar, peculiarly, if I can say that word. Um, he uses this verse quite uniquely. The word confess there we learned is exactly what we think it is. It's a public declaration of our trust in Jesus. A public declaration of trust in Jesus. And we learned that confession is undoubtedly a requirement for salvation. That's what the text says. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, it goes on to say you will be saved. But confession being a requirement for salvation, you know, while we think about that for a moment, we, we learned last week that, that, that the salvation that we're speaking of there is not the salvation that many people suppose it is. For we learned that Paul differentiates between justification or righteousness in verse 9 from salvation in verses 9 and 10. He, he distinguishes these two words, justification or righteousness and salvation. We see that most explicitly in Romans 5, 9 and 10. I encourage you to check that verse out. For Paul, justification is always by faith, which is why he says in verse 10, with the heart one believes unto righteousness. Some of your Bibles read justification. But Paul defines salvation in verses 9 and 10 in quite a different manner. In fact, in context, salvation in Romans 10, 9 and 10 is none other than deliverance from God's wrath. And to receive this kind of salvation, one must confess or call upon the Lord to be delivered. So, by way of summary here, salvation in Romans 10, 9, and 10 is understood as deliverance, deliverance from God's wrath. If a person confesses, that is, publicly appeals to the Lord Jesus Christ, believing Him to be alive and therefore capable of offering assistance, such a person will be saved, that is, delivered from the wrath of God. And it is in this sense that Paul can say in verse 13 that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
Now, for those of you who are hearing this for the first time and thinking, wow, that's completely different than what I learned about Romans 10, 9, and 10, I encourage you, before you, before you maybe reject this out of hand or before you uh, uh, pose further questions, go back, listen to the message, and if you have questions, I'd love to answer them for you. I'd love to dialogue about it. Uh, the message is uh, online on our website at coastbible.org, so you can check it out at any time. Now, before we leave this, though, before we leave this, I wanted to respond to uh, a looming question that um, I heard from many of you, actually. And uh, we were talking in, in the staff meeting on Sunday. Will was saying there, there are times where he wants to raise his hand during a message and ask a question. Um, I don't know if I encourage that quite yet. Maybe we'll get to that one day. Uh, but I do want to address the question. Uh, the question from last week that I heard from many of you is this. What if I follow Romans 10.9 and I'm not delivered? That's a great question. What, Neil, what if I follow to a T? What if I confess with my mouth? I trust Christ. I, I call upon Him for help, believing that He is alive, that He is resurrected and capable of helping me. What if I do that, Neil, and, and, and God doesn't help me? That's a legitimate question. Because Paul here is undoubtedly making this a promise of the New Testament that if you confess with your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be delivered. You will be delivered. But uh, the answer to this question is not an easy one, but my response is twofold. First, um, if you notice carefully, the promise of Romans 10, 9, and 10, and reiterated in verse 13, is that such a person will be delivered from the wrath of God. And I want to say first and foremost on your outline, not every hardship we face can be appropriately termed God's wrath. Let me say that again. Not every hardship we face can be appropriately termed God's wrath. And this is not a small point. When things go wrong in our lives, we often look heavenward and we think, is God angry with me? Is He punishing me? Did I do something wrong? When things go bad, we, we, we look up and we say, Lord, are, are You upset with me? But of course, an equally valid reason for why you may be experiencing trouble is found earlier in Romans chapter 5. In Romans 5, Paul speaks in the early parts of the chapter about tribulation. And he says, uh, we glory in tribulation, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And we see throughout the Scriptures that tribulation, uh, the, the, the hardships, the struggles that we face are not always indicative of God's wrath. In fact, oftentimes, they're indicative of God's confidence in us. I think of Job. Uh, In the book of Job, God shows confidence in Job to handle hardship, to handle difficulty. And so, He allows the enemy to... Take so much away from Job. Takes away his family. Takes away his his property. Takes away his livelihood. And Job is often found wondering, and his his friends in particular are often found wondering, is God upset with Job? The answer is a definitive no in that book. It's not that God was upset with him. It's that God was showing confidence in him, in his ability 
to go through tribulation and develop perseverance, character, and hope. So the first point in response to this is, look, not every hardship you face is particularly God's wrath. Such, uh, such qualities of perseverance, character, hope, these qualities are intrinsic to our sanctification. And in that sense, they are intrinsic to our salvation, to our growth in Christ, to salvation in the fullest sense. And it may well be that God considers the instilling of these qualities in you to be of greater value than temporarily delivering you from a predicament. Which brings me to point number two. We, we don't always know what constitutes deliverance. We don't always know what constitutes deliverance. Sometimes, you know, deliverance is clearly seen. We open up to Exodus, we see the parting of the Red Sea and the Israelites walking through on dry ground. Clear, unmistakable deliverance. We see uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego thrown into the fiery furnace and preserved alive. We see clearly, unmistakably, God delivering in these instances. But other times, God's deliverance is more subtle. God's deliverance is not readily apparent. I think particularly of Acts chapter 7, verse 59 and 60. Notice what happens with Stephen. And they stoned Stephen. This is, uh, the, the Jews were stoning Stephen as he was calling on God. Notice the phrase calling, same as confessing. And saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Now, it may be that God's deliverance of Stephen was not found in protecting him from physical death, but in limiting the painfulness of his martyrdom. Stephen called upon the Lord, we see clearly in Acts 7, and he fell asleep, which is to say the Lord took his life. By all indication, in Acts 7, it appears that God took Stephen's life prior to the extensive, painful experience of the stoning. And in this sense, He delivered Stephen when He called upon his name. See, the point here, friends, is that we don't know what precisely constitutes deliverance. The Jews who were stoning Stephen, they, they did not know that God had Likely, it's not foolproof from the text. You you could read this as simply he died. But usually, with with respect to the phrase, he fell asleep. When God, when in the New Testament, when the New Testament authors use that term asleep, usually it refers to a premature taking by the Lord of that individual. And so the Jews who were stoning Stephen, they didn't know that God may very well have taken him before that painful experience. They didn't know that he was delivered in that sense. By all indication, it looked like God had abandoned him. The point is, friends, we don't know with with definition. We don't know what precisely constitutes deliverance. While we may think we are not being delivered, just the opposite could very well be the case. In fact, is the case if we are confessing the Lord Jesus believing Him to be alive and ready to help us. And I'm quite sure that one day when we meet our Lord face to face, He's going he's to show us, He's going to showcase to us the many different times in which He protected us, 
in which He preserved us from danger when we didn't even know it. And we're going to be amazed. And so friends, do not be discouraged if you are trusting Jesus, calling and confessing His name, asking Him to deliver you from a a hardship, a trial, a difficulty. Do not be discouraged when you don't visibly see deliverance. It could be, in fact it is, that God is delivering you in the way that He deems best. Perhaps through the instilling of character qualities in you. Perhaps in in giving you perseverance for a future hardship. We don't know what it looks like. It may not be the precise kind of deliverance we are hoping for, but we can be sure that when we call upon the name of the Lord, we will be saved. Amen? Amen. So now we turn to uh, the last portion of Romans uh, 10. We're going to be looking at Romans 10, 14-21 this morning. And just briefly, this, is, this won't be an extensive message. There's only a, a brief portion of text to consider. Uh, but before we do, I, I, uh, I want to talk about uh, the U.S. post office for a minute. How many of you have been to the post office? And uh, have you ever been frustrated by the post office? Okay, a few of you. I heard some laughs. <laughs> you know, sometimes we, we get there and we wait a long time. I saw one guy. I felt so bad for him. I don't know if you, you know up in Mission Viejo. You know, they got that, that ticker system where you take the, the number, Right? Okay, this this poor old man, he he bypassed the number system and I didn't know it at the time. I was sitting there with my son. He bypassed right by it and he was just sitting there and 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 uh, looking around kind of funny. And and finally, I noticed him and I was looking at him like, oh, you didn't take a number, did you? And I was like, that that's really bad. So what I do, I get. No, I didn't. I said, you got to go and you got to pick up a number. I thought of being charitable, but. I'm sorry, guys. Sorry. I failed, Lord. I failed. Poor man. My wife would have given it to him, huh, honey? <laughs> She's got a heart. She's got a heart for little old men, you know, so. Not me. I'm hard and calloused. Anyway, when you go to the post office, right? You, man, it's crazy how many options you have these days. You walk in and you go, you got one little letter and you hand it to the person. They're like, do you want that express mail, priority mail, first class mail or parcel post? And you're like, uh, uh, which, uh, what, what's that? And then, and then you finally you pick a, a method of mailing. And then they say, you know, do you want a certificate of mailing? Do you want a certified mail, delivery confirmation, insured mail, registered mail, restricted delivery, return receipt, signature confirmation or special handling? And you're like, What? Huh? I mean, goodness gracious, it's, it, you, you would have thought you were at Starbucks ordering an extra hot, double blended, half-calf, non-fat, venti chocolate mocha frappuccino for crying out loud. How many order that? Corey? Black coffee. That's fast. I'm going to try that. My wife likes to order the extra hot, double blended, half-calf, non-fat, venti mocha, I don't know how to say it anymore, with whipped cream. In Romans 10 today, in our text today in Romans, friends, Paul is going to say something uh, that that relates to delivery. Delivery. And he's going to say that it is our responsibility with respect to the gospel of Jesus Christ to deliver it wherever we are. As Christians, as heralds of the message of life, we are called to deliver the message of salvation to all. 
In post office terms, God asks that we regularly confirm our delivery of the Gospel to the world. That we focus on delivery confirmation. But there's one thing that we're not responsible for, as Paul's going to make clear in Romans 10. The one thing we're not responsible for is whether or not that Gospel package is opened and accepted in faith. You see, in in post office terms, God doesn't require us to purchase COD, collection on delivery, because we're not responsible for the collection of faith for the delivery of the gospel. We're not responsible for collecting back someone's response of faith. We're simply called to faithfully deliver the message. So let's turn to Romans chapter 10, beginning in verse 14 to 21. We're going to read through our portion of Scripture here this morning. Romans 10, beginning in verse 14, Paul writes, How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. For they have not all obeyed the gospel, For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the earth. But I say, did Israel not know? First Moses says, I will provoke you to jealousy by those who are not a nation. I will move you to anger by a foolish nation. But Isaiah is very bold and says, I was found by those who did not seek me. I was made manifest to those who did not ask for me. But to Israel, he says, all day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient, to a contrary people. Let's go back to verse 14 for a moment. Verse 14, how shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? How shall they believe? In Him, in whom they have not heard. How shall they hear without a preacher? How shall they preach unless they're sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Step-by-step instructions here. You know, this, this is a step-by-step process, if you will, of how the gospel goes out. Verse 14 and 15 is... A step-by-step process. How does the Gospel come to us? Well, really, we actually start at the bottom of verse 15 and we work our way back up. First, the messengers are sent. They are sent. And then these messengers, they preach. They preach the Gospel of Jesus Christ. And then as they preach the Gospel, it allows men, women, and children to hear the Gospel so that forth they might believe the Word which they have heard. And that fifth, they might go on to continually call on the name of the Lord for salvation. That is, for deliverance. Here again, we see as we work our way up, I, I had the arrow pointing up last time, as we work our way up, we see that hearing comes before, or sending comes before preaching, which comes before hearing, which comes before believing, which comes before confessing. And what is particularly noteworthy about this pattern is that confessing is something that only believers can do. 
Did you catch that in verse 14? You cannot even confess. You cannot even call on the name of the Lord until you have believed in Him. Jody Dillow writes this. He writes, To call upon the name of the Lord was a distinctly Christian privilege. Now you might be wondering, well, but Neil, anyone can call on the name of the Lord. I mean, any non-believer can look up to God and do look up to God and cry out to Him for help. That's true. Anyone can call upon the Lord for help. That is true. But that kind of calling on God is not what Paul is talking about. He is speaking exclusively of Christians who call on the name of the Lord. And he is speaking about a promise to those Christians when they call on the name of the Lord. You see, when non-believers call on, on the Lord for help, the Lord is not obligated to help them. There is no promise in Scripture that unbelievers, those who have never turned to Christ in faith, when they call upon God, there is no obligation in the Scriptures that compels God to help them in their time of need. They can call all they want and God may or He may not respond. But when you call, when Christians call on the name of the Lord, in accordance with Romans 10, 9, and 10, you will be helped. You will be saved. You will be delivered. It's a promise to you. It is a promise to you who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that when you call upon His name for help, you will be helped. I think that um, I think we need to, to, to settle in our hearts the importance of this promise. Friends, when you confess the Lord Jesus believing Him alive and capable to help you, you will be helped. And I know the tendency in, in, um, in our day is, to, uh, is, is just to not ask for help. You know what? Um, we live in a culture, we, we live in a society in which asking someone else for help is the last thing we do. You know, guys know about this with respect to asking for directions. Um, but all of us know about this. I mean, when, when, we're in, when we're in trouble, when we're faced with a difficulty, we have a tendency to want to be so self-sufficient and not call upon anyone for help. But Paul is saying here, in fact, he's imploring you here. He's saying, call upon Him. He has promised to help you. Call upon the Lord. Let the Lord know. He already knows. But let let it be known that you are asking Him for help. Let it be known to Him that you are calling out the Lord Jesus to help you in your time of need. And He is ready and willing to help. Jesus wants us to call upon Him. He's promised to help us. What a blessing. And so Paul writes, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. Not only do these messengers take the message of salvation to the ends of the earth, but they also take the message of hope that whenever we call on the name of the Lord, we will be helped, we will be delivered. It's a beautiful thing. Romans 14 and 15 also uh, really compels us to remember the importance of sending. Um, you know, the, the church... The church is in the delivery business, friends. We are in the business of delivering the message. And the people on that wall behind you, the missionary wall, they are delivering the message. And that is why we devote some 
of our church's resources to those people because they are delivering the message day in and day out, week in and week out. We need to be a sending church, always sending the message. That message needs to be at the forefront of every ministry in Awana, in, in youth, in all the ministries that we undertake. We need to be sending out the message of Jesus Christ. We are responsible for delivery confirmation to confirm before the Lord that we are being faithful to sending out His message. We're not responsible for collection on delivery. We don't take, uh, we're not responsible for collecting back faith. That's between them and the Lord. But we are responsible to deliver the message. And sometimes, as we well know, uh, as we know all too well, sometimes deliveries are returned. Sometimes deliveries are returned. And so Paul continues in verse 16. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed our report? So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. But I say, have they not heard? Yes, indeed. Their sound has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the earth. Now here Paul speaks of some who received the message of salvation and put a return to sender note on it and send it right back. Who is Paul speaking of here is really a question of importance. Who is Paul talking about in this particular point in Romans? Notice the terms they, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. And then again in verse 18, but I say, have they not heard? Paul's, using, uh, Paul's referring to a people group. And uh, he's been referring to the same people group throughout Romans 9, 10, and 11, which is why every time we read Romans 9, 10, and 11, we need to be asking the question, how does this apply to Israel? Take a look. Next, uh, next passage. But I say, did Israel not know? So here in verse 19, he reveals who the they is. It is Israel. Yet again, we see Paul's constant attention to the people of the Jews in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And that's why, by the way, how many of you are holding an NIV Bible right now? A few of you? If you'll notice in verse 16, it reads, but not all the Israelites accepted the good news. Of course, in the actual manuscripts of the Bible, Israelites is not mentioned there. It simply says, in verse 16, it simply says, but they have not all obeyed the Gospel. But the NIV translation infers Israel from verse 19, and, and rightly so. And so it's perfectly acceptable for them to put that in there at verse 16. But the rest of your Bibles uh, are more exact with the wording of the text. Paul says, they, Israel, have not been obedient by and large to the gospel, which is to say they've not believed it. Isaiah, he quotes Isaiah here, Lord, who has believed our report? Why haven't they believed? Have they not heard, Paul asks in verse 18? Well, of course they've heard. The truth of our Lord, now perfectly expressed through the Gospel of Jesus Christ, has been spreading throughout Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Well, did they not know, verse 19? Here we see Paul appealing now to the chief representatives of Israel, to Moses and to Isaiah. And Paul asks, do you not even know that Moses and Isaiah's own writings forewarned you 
that the Gentiles would one day come to the Lord God even on a greater scale than the chosen people of Israel? You see, Moses, Paul writes, Moses alluded to it. He alluded to the salvation of the Gentiles in subtle ways in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21, which Paul quotes in verse 19. But Isaiah, he was, he was very bold, Paul writes in verse 20. He was very bold in saying that the Lord was found by those who did not seek Him. That the Lord was made manifest to those who did not ask for Him. And yet Israel, those who had been given the oracles of God since Abraham, had regressed into a disobedient and into a contrary people. Here again we see Paul criticizing his own countrymen. Let us not forget, Paul is a Jew here as he's writing. And he writes reluctantly about their predicament with much grief, having said repeatedly how much he wants Israel to be delivered, to be saved. And indeed, Paul will go on to confirm as we get to chapter 11. Paul will go on to confirm that indeed a remnant will be saved. But as we come to the end of chapter 10 this morning, I want us to focus on on the last words in verse 21, in which Paul writes, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. All day long I have stretched out my hands in in entreaty, in an offer of reconciliation, in a second chance to a disobedient and to a contrary people. Friends, this is the Spirit of our Lord. We worship a God who, despite countless times where we disobey Him, where we sin against Him, where we act contrarily to Him, We have a God who is always open arms, outstretched to us, asking us to come back. We think of the prodigal son, the story of the prodigal son, where the the son goes off in disobedience. He he lives a life that is is just beyond sinfulness. And when he returns home, he sees the father with outstretched arms, welcoming him home. This is the character of our God. This is the character of the God we serve. That I don't care where you are in life. I don't care if you've been stuck in sin for years now. I don't care if you've been battling the same sin over and over and over again. It does not matter how far you've strayed, how many wrong turns you've made. God in heaven is... Like this to you. He's saying, come home. Come back to me. I want to embrace you again. I want to bring you home. Moment by moment, our God extends His outstretched arms to those who disobey Him. He extends time and time again forgiveness, reconciliation, a second chance. And no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, there is nothing you can do that will keep the Lord from going like this to you. 
Come home to Him. He wants you to come home. He wants you to be forgiven, to be reconciled to Him, to be put back into a right relationship with Him. He's going to do this with Israel. We're going to see this in chapter 11. We're going to see Him saying, come back. We may see it uh, we may see glim- glimmers of it in our lifetime. We are seeing glimmers of it. Israel restored to the land. Her, her prominence is, is being noticed throughout the world. We're seeing God with outstretched arms calling back His people. He will do it for Israel. He has not cast them away, as Romans 11.1 1 says. And He will do it for you. Return to the Lord. He always has outstretched arms for you. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You for uh, this simple yet profound truth that You are a God who is always extending Your arms to us. Father, You no doubt are at times disappointed by our behavior, by our conduct, by the um, sinful things that we do. But God, You are always ready to redeem and always ready to reconcile. And we are a grateful people because of it, Lord. We thank You for the second chance You give to us in Jesus Christ. Father, You have given to us the greatest second chance of all. That if we believe in Him, we will have eternal life. That if we call upon His name, we will be delivered in our times of trouble. Thank You, Father, for Your mercy and for Your grace. We will forever cherish it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.